0: Well, good morning, gentlemen. If you have your Bibles, if you would open up with me now to the Gospel according to John in chapter 6. And beginning in verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, "'Where shall we buy bread that these may eat?' But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, "'Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them.' that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time, for this conference. Lord, we pray that in our final day together, Lord, that you would impart something to us, Lord, from heaven. Lord, we want the word of the Lord today. And so, Father, pour out your Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In comparison to the other gospel writers, John is more selective in his documentation of the ministry of Jesus. He does not record every miracle Jesus performed, nor does he document all that Jesus said. John's purpose was to present not a chronological narrative of the life of Jesus, but to display his deity. However, in the fourth verse, we read that the Passover feast was drawing near, which provides us really with a timeline between chapters 5 and 6, meaning that a year had passed in the ministry of Jesus and that he was now only a year away from his death on the cross. When many miracles took place between the healing of the paralytic at the pool of Bethesda and the feeding of the 5,000, such as the healing of the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath day, the healing of the centurion's servant, the widow of Nain, her son who was raised from the dead, the synagogue leader named Jairus, whose daughter was also brought back to life, and the woman with the 12-year issue of blood, was healed by grabbing hold of the hem of Jesus' garment. It was also during this season of ministry that Jesus taught the people many things, which included the Sermon on the Mount, as well as many parables. And it was because of this authoritative teaching of Jesus and his miracles that John tells us in verse 2 that a great multitude followed him because they saw the signs Which he performed. Now, aside from the resurrection, the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 is the only miracle recorded in all four of the Gospels. Obviously, the Gospel writers considered this a significant miracle in the ministry of Jesus. First of all, consider the timing of the miracle itself. We know from the Gospels of Mark as well as Luke that the disciples had just completed a short-term missionary journey. They came back to report to Jesus all that had taken place as they ministered throughout the regions of Galilee. But it was also during this time that Jesus received word that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been brutally murdered by Herod. In the midst of grief over the loss of a family member and perhaps exhaustion in ministry, as everyone was Desiring his attention, Jesus encouraged his disciples to come aside and rest a while. And so Jesus, along with his disciples, got into a boat and sailed parallel along the Sea of Galilee. The people, of course, recognized Jesus and they began to follow him on foot. And when they finally reached the shore, they were greeted by a large multitude of people. And then it says in verse 5, Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him. Mark's gospel tells us that when Jesus lifted up his eyes and he saw the multitude, that he was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he taught them many things. Personally, I've always marveled at this, especially because of the fact that Jesus had just received news. About John the Baptist. And yet, within his humanity, even within his own grief, in his own trials, he was still concerned for the pressing needs of others. In fact, it says here that he was moved. And when it says that Jesus was moved, it is a word that describes the deepest place where your emotions could be felt. Jesus had pity and compassion and empathy for them because he knew their condition. How do we see people in our city? How do we see people within our community? How do we observe the lost? Are we moved? Do we care at all? Does my heart ache for lost people? Is the only time that I preach the gospel when I'm in the pulpit? Am I still doing the work of an evangelist? If we are moved with compassion, we will. If we have the heart of Jesus, we will. May God help us as pastors to be moved once again with compassion. Not to put our eyes down when we see people coming, but to look them in the face with the eyes of grace. The Lord knew the people's condition. And you know something, he knows our condition as well. And perhaps today, you are in need. I know what it's like when a conference is coming to an end. Everything's winding down, but in your mind, as a pastor, you're winding up. You're thinking, if you're teaching tonight, when is this guy gonna be done? Because I have to study. You know, or you're ready, you're starting in your mind already to to check out. Listen, I want you to stay tuned. I want you to stay focused today. The Lord knows what you're going through. And we can sometimes, as pastors, make the mistake of thinking that Jesus only looks at the congregation with eyes of compassion and concern. But listen, men, He looks at us in the same way. We are the sheep of His pasture, we are the children of our Father, and He's concerned for us. The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their cry, Psalm 34. In Second Chronicles 16, it says that the eyes of the Lord, they run to and fro throughout the whole earth. And He's looking for those whom He can show Himself strong on their behalf. The Lord looks at you today, brother, with eyes of compassion and mercy. He is concerned about every situation that you're in, even at this moment. He sees us with eyes of love. His mercies are new every morning. In fact, the Bible goes a step further and says that Jesus, right now, at this moment, is praying for us, interceding for us. Now, the Bible says in Mark chapter 6 that Jesus taught the people for quite some time to the point that the day was far spent and it was late. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record that the disciples came to Jesus And they encouraged him to send the people away in order that they could go into the surrounding villages and buy food because they hadn't eaten anything. And this was a deserted place and they didn't want them to faint along the way. The disciples saw the need, but they felt that it was best to have someone else meet the need. And this was very practical. This is a very logical suggestion. I mean, they were in the midst of a deserted place. Often... The Lord will make us aware of a need. And there are those moments when we would rather have someone else meet the need. When the very reason that God made us aware of it is because he wants us to meet the need. I'm certain that the response that the disciples received from Jesus to their practical suggestion came as a complete surprise. From the collective gospel accounts, Matthew tells us in chapter 14, Jesus said, they don't need to go away, you give them something to eat. Now that's a complete impossibility. How could the disciples give them something to eat? And then John tells us here in verse 5, Jesus turns to Philip and notice what he says, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. Now keep in mind, we often refer to this miracle as the feeding of the 5,000. And the reason is because Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 14, verse 21, that there, those who had eaten were about 5,000 beside women and children. Meaning that there could have been anywhere from maybe 10, 12, 15,000 people perhaps. We do not know. But at least there were 5,000. And with all of the people sitting there, Jesus turns to Philip and he asks him where to buy bread. Maybe because Philip lived in the area of Bethsaida where the miracle was believed to have taken place. But the real reason, we are told here, is because the Lord was testing him. Jesus always has a plan. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what was going to take place. And the fact is, he always does. We don't always know what we're doing, but the Lord certainly does. And the Lord will allow us to be put into a circumstance where our faith has to be tested. He'll put us into situations where we will be forced to trust in him. And that shouldn't come as a surprise to us. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 7 that the genuineness of our faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to the praise and the honor and the glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are faced with a need or we encounter a situation that is clearly impossible for us even to come up with some kind of solution. But we have to always remember Who we're dealing with. The Lord who made heaven and earth. The creator of everything. Nothing is too hard for him. We should never put limitations on God. Just because we're limited. Just because we don't have what it takes. Never think that God doesn't have what it takes. God has all the resources in heaven. The Bible says that we have been given all things. That pertain to life and godliness. That every spiritual gift that's made available to us. Is accessible through Jesus Christ. God has enough to supply to meet the need that we're faced with today. Amen? Amen. Maybe that's where you are, facing a difficulty, overwhelmed by it. Difficulty must always be measured by the agent that is doing the work. And therefore, to talk of difficulty when the Lord is involved is absurd. The disciples' first response to the need was, send them away. But that wasn't what Jesus wanted to do. And so they decided to do the math. Philip began to come up and think about what it would take to meet the need. 200 denarii is estimated to be close to eight months wages. Not that Jesus and the disciples had it. They didn't even have a place to lay their head. But Philip said, if they did have, let's just say hypothetically, we had 200 denarii. It wouldn't be able to give everyone even just a little bit. In other words, Jesus, we don't have the resources that it takes to meet the need. It just can't be done. Philip's mind immediately ran to the cost of the project. He quickly calculated how many man hours it would take to feed all of those people. He saw the task as impossible because he approached it as if everything depended on him. Guys, aren't you glad today that the ministry doesn't depend upon you? The longer I serve the Lord, the more I realize that it isn't so much my great faith, but it is God's great faithfulness to me. Jesus' approach was different. Jesus bypassed all human effort and he does the impossible. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it was by the Spirit, says the Lord, and our God has ways of providing. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. His resources are not limited. He provided for Abraham on Mount Moriah, a ram to be offered instead of Isaac. He provided for Elijah in the middle of a drought with brook and ravens that brought him food. The Lord always knows what he is doing. Mark's gospel informs us in the sixth chapter that Jesus then asked the question, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found, it says they had five and two fish. Now John tells us where it is that they had this supply. It says in verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? As the disciples begin to pool their resources, as they begin to look at what they have on hand, they didn't have anything in comparison to the need. Yet Andrew, who by the way in scripture, always bringing people to Jesus. Every time you see him, that was what he did. He brought people to Jesus. And here he brings this boy to Jesus. And he had five barley loaves and a few fish. Of course the barley loaf was the bread of the poor. And someone said that the greatest miracle that was done was not that Jesus multiplied the boy's lunch into a feast, but that this growing boy still had his lunch uneaten by the middle of the afternoon. (laughs) But here is another testimony, again, to the ministry of Andrew. He brings this boy to Jesus, and as he brings him to Jesus, shows him what he has, but then he says, but what are these? I mean, among so many it's almost as if he's saying, Jesus, I, I've, got a, I've got an idea. Oh, never mind. That's a lame idea. I don't even know why I said that. Do you ever feel that way? <laughs> Lord, this is all I have to offer. Lord, this is all that I have. And in comparison to, to what we need, this just... this." Uh, We should just not do this. Listen, God has ways of using seemingly small and insignificant things to bring about a great miracle. A little goes a long way when it's placed in the hands of Jesus, amen? A little rock in a sling killed a huge giant. A small staff raised up, parted the Red Sea. A jawbone in the hands of a man named Samson, filled with the power of the Spirit, slayed heaps upon heaps of Philistines. After the disciples told Jesus of the limited resources they had, Jesus did not say, Andrew, that's crazy. Get out of here. That's just, We can't use that. He didn't make a joke out of it. He didn't laugh at him. But what did he say? Matthew's gospel, chapter 14, verse 18. Jesus said, bring them here to me. In the disciples' hands, the resources couldn't meet their own needs. But in the hands of Jesus, it was a completely different story. Jesus said, bring them to me. We sometimes are placed in circumstances that are so far beyond us we don't have the resources. We don't have the gifting or the enabling in and of ourselves to do what we're being asked to do. But that is the very place that God wants us to be. In 2 Corinthians, Paul said it so clearly in the third chapter. He said, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think as if anything, as being from ourselves. But our sufficiency is from God, who makes us sufficient ministers for the work of the ministry. It's the Lord. We don't have what it takes. This, this, this wasn't an obstacle that Jesus wanted these men to get over. This was an opportunity that he sovereignly placed them in this place so that they would learn to trust in him and see the work of the Lord. Jesus made his disciples aware of the need. He then told them to meet the need. They quickly come to the realization that it was impossible to meet the need which in turn led them back to Jesus, who was the only one who could meet the need. Then they took what they had, they placed it in the hands of Jesus, then Jesus would provide and use use them to meet the need, and when it was all said and done, Jesus would get the glory. That's how the ministry is supposed to go. Jesus is the one that's supposed to get the glory. Jesus then says to his disciples in verse 10, make the people sit down. And now there was much grass in the place. And so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Again, the disciples could not feed the people. It would take a miracle. They couldn't buy provisions to, have, uh, to meet the need. They didn't have enough money. But they could do something. They could place what they had in the hands of Jesus. And they could have the people sit down. And the point that I'm driving home this morning is this they did what they could. Often in serving the Lord, we spend too much time analyzing how limited we are in the area of resource or assistance, and then we end up never doing anything. We act like the captives who returned to rebuild the temple. As Haggai said, when they looked at it and they compared it to the previous temple, the former temple, to them, it was like nothing in comparison. And maybe that's your problem. Maybe you spend too much time comparing yourself to someone else or what someone else is doing or someone else is gifting. Listen, the Bible says very clearly, those who compare themselves, judging themselves by themselves, they're unwise. Don't compare yourself to anybody else. Listen, two things can happen. One, you'll become extremely proud in comparison to someone else. Or you'll be extremely humbled and discouraged. Listen, just look at Jesus. Quit doing that. And it's easy at these conferences. You come together and you sit down at a table and you wonder how the conversation's gonna go and eventually it's gonna come up, where are you, What? Wh- how, how? how big's your church? You know, it just always comes up. And you don't wanna talk about it, well, you know, we're running about, you know, well, you know, if everybody was there, well, if we count children, you know, you just try to, you go through this whole thing and, you know, and, and then the other person, you know, it's just one of those things. You just have to get away from that. It doesn't really matter. People ask, how many people go to your church? Honestly, I have never counted. I don't really know. I'm just blessed that anybody comes back, you know, on a regular basis. I'm just like, thank you for, for being here again, week after week. You're too gracious. But the thing is, we spend too much time. And, and what happens is, we get our eyes off the Lord, and we start looking at us, and it's not wise. We need to be reminded again and again and again, it is the work of the Holy Spirit in and through our lives that allows us to do what we do. The disciples, they could have the people sit down. That was the place to start. Just just do this, do what you can. Just tell them to sit down. Can you yeah, that, we can do that, Lord. Jesus is allowing them to do something. He's partnering with them. What they were doing in comparison to what He was doing was they weren't even in the same category. So much of the work that's done in and through our lives, it has everything to do with Jesus. In verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down. And it says, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. Jesus took the loaves, And then he gave thanks, and he broke them, and then he distributed them to the disciples. And then the disciples, in turn, gave what they received from Jesus to the people. Jesus is now the source of their supply. If the disciples were going to continue to feed the people and continue to minister and see a miracle take place, they had to keep coming back to Jesus. There's only so much that they could carry. And so they would take what they were given and they would distribute it. And then they would come back and they would receive from him again. And then they would take what they could carry and they would distribute it and they would come back and they would receive from him again. Guys, understand this. Our supply as men in the ministry, it's got to be the Lord Jesus. We have to keep coming back to him. I I don't have resources in and of myself to minister to feed God's people on a regular basis. But Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, he he is the bread of life. And as long as I will come back to him, I can receive of that bread, and I can receive of that living water, and I can distribute it to his people through the power of the Holy Spirit. You keep coming back. And listen, the great news is this morning, the supply never runs out. It's endless. <laughs> Mark's gospel gives us insight on this account that I find Revealing and encouraging. He says that they took what they had and they placed it in the hands of Jesus. And then Jesus blessed it. And then it says Jesus broke it. And then he put it back in the hands of the disciples. And then they gave it to the people. I believe that any person that desires to be used by the Lord in greater ways must first place themselves in the hands of Jesus. You have to come to this place where you settle the issue as to who you belong to. That you are the Lord's. That you were bought with a price. You're not your own. And therefore we are to glorify God in our body, in our spirit, which are His. I have to settle that issue right away. I belong to the Lord. And if you don't settle that issue as to whose ministry it is and to who you belong to and who has the title deed to your life, then you will resist the will of God and you will hinder the work of the ministry. Are we men who have said, have your way with my life, Lord? Have we surrendered our agenda And our will to the Lord. What follows placing our hands, or placing our life rather, in the hands of Jesus? Brokenness. He took what was placed in his hands and he broke it. Brokenness, I believe, precedes usefulness. It was A.W. Tozer that said, It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly... Until he has hurt him deeply. Hurt what? Hurt our pride. Humble us, as was mentioned so wonderfully last night. It's in the poverty of spirit that Jesus blesses. The Lord has to humble us and then he can use us if we are humble before him. Listen, we've said it before. It was Robert Marie McShane that said, it's not great talents that God blesses, but it's great likeness to Jesus that he blesses. And Jesus was humble and Jesus was seeking to do the will of the Father. Sometimes that can take work in our lives. We resist that. I think of Moses, who when the Lord called him, and met with him there on the burning bush he was reluctant moses was the man that said here am i send aaron that was his life he wanted somebody else to go and he was reluctant And so the Lord began to talk to him, and Moses gave the Lord all the reasons why he shouldn't go. Well, I can't speak. I made your mouth. Well, I can't do this. I'm going to take care of that. Well, who do I tell them sent me? You tell them I am sent you. All right, I'll go. So he eventually goes down reluctantly, and the first time, he stands before Pharaoh. And begins to tell him and all that God showed him and begins to speak up on behalf of the Lord. You remember that right after that, Pharaoh didn't listen. He kicked him out of the court. And and then he made life miserable for the people that Moses had come to deliver. And they said to Moses, you've made a stink in the eyes of Pharaoh. They despised him. And then Moses, in essence, responds to the Lord and says, this is why I told you I didn't want to come in the first place. And then you remember what the Lord said to Moses? It's profound. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. In order to see what God's going to do, I got to get out of the way. I have to be humbled. I have to be broken. Listen, some of you guys right now, maybe you're in the formative years of church planting. I have not forgotten what that's like. And I'll say this, it's not easy. People say, oh, man, I'm so excited. I'm just going to go plant churches. And I always say, do it. You need to. You know, because they, 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 it is usually the person that thinks, I, I got this. You know, I've got this whole plan. I've got this whole thing set up. I am. You should see our logo. I, yeah, that's awesome. That's great. You need people, bro. <laughs> and God uses it in our lives. I mean, he uses it. I can remember walking with the Lord when our church was me and my wife and one other couple. And, uh, and they're two cats. And we would, I, would walk, I would walk. So I would count them. If you asked me how many people you have, well, Jesus said, you know, go preach the gospel to all creatures. So if we count the cats, that's five people in the church, six people. Anyway, what, what I'm saying is I would I was so desperate. I would walk, take walks with the Lord, and I still do, but I would take walks with the Lord, and I would just cry out to God, if, God, if you don't show up, this, this is, nothing's going to happen. And I get embarrassed, man. People, my wife, she was so zealous making these homemade flyers. You know, it's just sad. It's just sad to see it. You know, it's just it embarrassing. <laughs> this was back when Publisher was the only fonts you could have, and they were just, just terrible, and she'd pass out these cards. My husband's starting a church. You should come. I said, Don't, don't invite him. It's embarrassing. it's embarrassing. And God uses all that, doesn't he? Why? To strip us of ourselves. Because it's not it's nothing. It's nothing for God to do a work. God is who he is, he could do anything. He usually can speak through a donkey. He did. It's in the Bible. So it doesn't take much. I mean, God could do anything. The thing is getting me to work in concert with him. Me to be humble enough to say, God, do what you want. And just this whole thing, just if this isn't it, then just do something different that will honor and glorify you. And that will work, please. We have to get out of the way. In 1903, a man by the name of Evan Roberts, he was 25 years old, He was a Christian, he was a coal miner, a student who began to pray for the Lord to fill him with the Holy Spirit. And in the midst of a season of prayer, Roberts found himself at the evangelistic event where a man named Seth Joshua was preaching. And Roberts heard Joshua pray, Lord, bend us. And at the sound of those words, the Holy Spirit grabbed hold of Roberts and said, that's what you need. Roberts wrote, I felt a living power pervading my bosom. It took my breath away and my legs trembled exceedingly. This living power became stronger and stronger as each one prayed until I felt that it would tear me apart. And I fell on my knees with my arms over the seat in front of me. My face was bathed in perspiration and tears flowed in streams. And I cried out, bend me, bend me. It was God's commending love which bent me, and a wave of peace flooded over my life. I was filled with compassion for those who must bend at the judgment, and I wept. Following that, the salvation of the human soul was solemnly impressed on me, and I felt ablaze with the desire to go through the length and the breadth of Wales to tell of the Savior. Listen, men, that happens and revival happens when men are willing to be bent to the will of God. And I ask myself, have I been broken? Are you being broken by the Lord? Is he using this season in your life to humble you, to strip you of all that would stand in the way of what God would want to do? And if we are Yielding to that process, God can work. If we are resisting that process, good luck. God will. God's committed, friend. He'll put your hip out of socket if He needs to, but it's better just to say, Lord, don't leave me unless you bless me, God. If you're wrestling with God, tap out, friend. It's nothing for God to do a work, but He wants men who are broken so that He can make them whole, so that He can fill them with His Spirit. The result of this miracle was staggering. For it says in verse 12, So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and they filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. When it says that they were filled, the people that were gathered there were completely satisfied jesus jesus had satisfied their need the disciples could not satisfy their need jesus is the one who satisfies the needs of the people it was their their goal to take what jesus gave them and then to pass it out guys that's what we do that's what we do on a regular basis the sermons we prepare listen they're like loaves and fishes compared to the need in people's life what you come up with in the you know and what you study through and what I put together, listen, without the fire of God, without heaven involved, it's nothing. It's words on a page. It's not gonna change anybody's life until it's lit on fire by the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, that's when people's lives begin to change. Jesus shows up and meets the need. It's like the priests going into the, the temple and as they're offering sacrifices, it says that the glory of God filled the temple and it was so thick, the presence of God that they weren't even able to minister. God was doing the ministry because he showed up. They were glorifying him and his presence was felt and his presence was real. And that's what changes people's lives. When they come into your church and they say things like, there's something different about this place. And it's not the ambiance. It's not the killer sound system. It's not the amazing lights. It's not all, not that that's bad. If you have that, don't don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But I'm saying that's not the emphasis, creating an atmosphere and creating an environment. You can create an atmosphere and an environment and it can be absent of the Holy Spirit. That's not what we want. I'd rather have a janky building with the power of the Holy Spirit than have some glorious temple with nothing in it. We want the power of the Holy Spirit. By the way, I don't even know what the word janky means. But it just came out. Lord, anything that is not of you, just remove it. But they were all filled. And isn't that just like the Lord Jesus to bring us to the end of ourselves, to satisfy the needs of the people every week because He's good, because He's gracious. And when the meal had ended, it's interesting that Jesus said to his disciples, I want you to gather up all the fragments. I want you to gather all the fragments. As I was thinking about that, it reminded me of something, and it was this. Don't take anything for granted. Gather up the fragments. Don't don't you forget. Gather them up. And then it says, at the end, they're all left with 12 baskets full. Can you see them there? (laughs) They're, They're standing there. 12 disciples, 12 baskets full. Now, wait a second. How did we, did we? No, you didn't do anything. You gave it to Jesus. He gave it back to you and there's stuff left over. I mean, you get, to, you get to live off of what he provided for you. That's the faithfulness of God. Because they were connected to Jesus, he did what they couldn't and then he even provided for their needs and they're standing there and they know it wasn't them. They know beyond a shadow of a doubt, this was Jesus and every week when you step down from that pulpit, and every week that you step away and, you know, people greet you and at the end and, you know, and they're so kind and they're so loving and, and they say, oh, that was, that was such a great message, Pastor. You have no idea how that ministered to my life. You have no idea what you, isn't it interesting, by the way, just a side note, when you, you share your whole message and someone comes up and says, that thing that you said about this, and you didn't say that. You realize, wait a second, I, let me refresh my, no, I didn't say that. And, and, and what does that do? It's a reminder. It's a reminder that it's Jesus ministering to the people. And that message you gave, Pastor, that really ministered to me and my family. You have no idea. It's like I was the only person in the room. And exactly, and you, you know you, and I know me. And I feel like the disciples are standing there like, Lord, I don't, you did it. You did it. It's all you, Lord. The miracle teaches us that Jesus is all-powerful. He can make something out of nothing. The Lord used human instruments to minister to the needs of the people. It teaches us that little is much when it's in the hands of the Lord. And we're not to take anything for granted. And the whole purpose of the miracle, and the whole purpose of God using our lives is not to draw attention to ourselves, but to draw people's attention to Jesus. Listen, we, we should know that we are limited. When they came to John the Baptist and asked him all these questions, who are you and who do you say that you are and what do you say about this and what do you say about that? John knew and confessed his own limitation. He said, I baptize you with water, but there's one coming after me who's gonna baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire I am limited. There is only so much that I can do, but I'm going to do what I can. If it's making the people sit down, then that's what I'm going to do. If it's taking the limited resources of a sermon that I wonder if this thing's going to preach at all, I'm going to give it to the Lord and say, you do it. I'm going to be like Elijah, and I'm going to repair the altar. I'm going to dig the trench. I'm going to pour out the water. I'm going to put the sacrifice in order, and then I'm going to wait, and I'm going to cry out for fire. And when that happens, and when it's all done, What do the people say? The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. If the disciples held on to the lunch themselves, they would have missed out on what Jesus could have done. And men, I don't know about you, but I'm certain that this is probably the case we don't want to miss out on anything Jesus wants to do. And so the longer I serve the Lord, the more I'm learning to serve with open hands. <laughs> In essence, saying, God, you, you can take from me whatever you want. Excuse me. <clears throat> and you can impart to me whatever you want. My hands are open. Whatever you want to do. It's fine with me. Someone said, and I conclude with this, give your life to God. He can do more with it than you can. And I say amen to that. Amen? Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, I just want to take a minute and lift up the brothers today, Lord, who are uh, perhaps in the thick of the battle today. Lord, they don't doubt your faithfulness. They don't doubt that you're able. But it's just one of those seasons, Lord. It's It's just a season of war. And we're soldiers, God. And there may be some men in this room today, I don't doubt it, who've been wounded. Some by friendly fire, Lord. Some have had an Absalom among them. Some, perhaps even a Judas. Close friends who have left the ministry and taken people with them. and Lord, that's just, It's difficult, Lord. But, Father, you have a purpose even in that. I just feel impressed today, gentlemen, if if you're in the thick of the battle, and and that could be some of you, maybe a few. We're all in the battle, obviously. But really, I feel impressed today to pray for those men that are you, 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 maybe, maybe you're the guy that's thinking, I, I'm about done with this. I'm thinking, my, I'm beefing up my resume. I want, I'm thinking about doing something else. Listen, the truth of the matter is, if you, if, if you've never thought in ministry about giving up and doing something else, you just probably haven't been in the ministry long enough. It's just a matter of time before that. The devil uses that, and you know, there's nothing more that he'd want us to do than to quit, to give up, and say, why do this anymore? Really, what's the use? It's not like it's going to make a difference in your city. and and so why, why continue? Why do that? And if you're, if you're at the place where you, uh, your hands are hanging down and you have feeble knees in that regard, and, and you just you need to be strengthened today in the spirit, I, I want to pray for you today. So I'd like you to stand, and, and maybe just, like I said, a couple guys, maybe, I don't know, maybe if that's you, and maybe the Lord just ministered to you today specifically. You're thinking about, if there's a towel to throw in, I'd like to throw it in right now. But the Lord, Lord's not going to let you do that. And that's why we're going to pray for you. Anybody else today? It's good. There's a couple guys around the room. You know, you know what it's like. And this is a great place to be because pastors know exactly what that feels like. And other people, you can't, you can't tell them, hey, this is what's going on in the church. And you can't tell this person that and because they don't know. And it would just, call, you, know, you know, you know the drill. So anybody else? I just want to pray for you today. All right, guys that are standing, you know, we did this last night, but if you just, you're right near them, just lay hands on these guys. I'm gonna pray, pray for these brothers. We all know how to intercede in this regard, so let's pray. I'm just gonna pray. And Lord, we thank you so much for our brothers today who are standing. And Lord, we're, we're brothers in arms. We're, Lord, we're men in the battle. Think of those words of Joab, Lord, when he spoke to his brother and said, listen, if, if they're too strong for you, then you come and help me. And, and, and if, they're, if they're too strong for me, then you come help and, and vice versa. Lord, that's what we want to do with our brothers today. Lord, we wanna, we're, we're men on the wall. We're watchmen, as we were told. And Lord, the, we want to hear the trumpet sound so that we can rally together, though we're spread apart. And Lord, we want to strengthen each other. Lord, I think of Jonathan when he came to David. And it says he strengthened his hands in the Lord. Lord, strengthen the hands of these men today. Lord, raise their hands up, Lord. God, let them not hang their heads, Lord. Lord, strengthen them in the inner man. Lord, if the outward man is perishing today, let the inward man be renewed day by day. Lord, for those that just feel they can't go another step or they can't, continue to do what they're doing, Lord, remind them of your faithfulness. Lord, stir us up again. Lord, give us the the power of the Holy Spirit in a fresh way. Lord, bend us whatever you want to do. Lord, help us to see you in this. Lord, help us not to doubt you or to think that you're harsh or or you don't understand what's, what we're going through. You were a man of sorrows. You were acquainted with grief. You know very well what it is to experience what we're experiencing and beyond what we're experiencing. And so today, God, we look to you. You're the source of our strength. You are our sufficiency. You're our supply. You're the bread of life. We partake of you today. Fill us afresh, God. Strengthen us, Lord. Let your grace be sufficient for us, Lord, in the midst of our weakness, Lord, thank you that you can use weak men and empower them by the Spirit. And so we thank you. We present all that we are to you afresh today. Use our lives, God, for your glory, for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor John Randall. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor John's teaching ministry by visiting a dailywalk.org.